Okay, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Last week we looked at suffering and glory. This week the theme of our discussion is going to be looking at the idea of groaning from three perspectives in the text that is before us. How many of you uh, groaned this week? Anybody have a circumstance that caused you to say, oh. If you watch the news this week, you probably groaned. Uh, the uh, brokenness and division in our government is, at best, frustrating, right? I don't mean this partisanly. I mean it just across the board. I heard one so- someone say recently, uh, making this observation, that a few years back we sent a uh, probe to Mars in search of intelligent life. And he asked the question, what would happen if we released that on Capitol Hill, right? <laughs> you got to think about that. Well, I mean, the end game is this, right? Our hope is not in humanity. If you place your hope in people, you will be frustrated and sad and hopeless. Because the world we live in, and the people that you live with, and counting myself, should not be your source of hope. Okay? People have a history. Uh, They have a track record. And let's be honest, it's not pretty. So if you put your hope in people, in humanity, uh, you will live with shattered dreams and broken hope. And so the Bible encourages us to grasp the truth that while we are here, while we live in this realm, we live with the tension between what we already are as believers, redeemed, children of God, but we are not yet home experiencing the fullness of our redemption. We are caught in this tension. We live as children of God, but we live in a broken world. We live as children of God who sometimes have strife with each other. We experience brokenness. And when that happens, what happens? We groan. We have this this sense of of a sigh that comes out of us. Now, last week, we kind of focused our attention in this way. Number one, life involves suffering. Talk to any Giants fan. And you'll know, okay, that truth is being verified. Secondly, suffering and glory are inseparable. Our appreciation of glory goes up as we grasp honestly the suffering of the world that we live in. It brings clarity. Okay, so suffering it, 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 throughout Scripture, it has a purpose. It's not an absurd experience that is pointless. God uses it. All things we'll look at in a few weeks. Verse 28 of this chapter, God uses all things, the good, the bad, the indifferent, to do things that are for His glory and to build the hope of His people. That is His aim. So that we wouldn't trust in people. So glory and suffering are inseparable. But the suffering that we experience will be forgotten when we experience the glory that God will reveal in, to, and through us. Okay, so there is a better day coming. That is Christian hope. It's not a dream. It is the solid hope of every believer. So our suffering in this sense then is purposeful, but as we go through it, we we have a common response to suffering. And the response that we have is this word that comes up three times in the text, creation groans, we groan, and the Spirit of God groans. Now, if you think back to a high school English, you probably remember this word, and I'm going to mispronounce it, and Carmel is going to look at me, and and Mindy too, they're both English majors. So here's this word, onomatopoeia, am I... Onomatopoeia. See, I knew. 
I knew I would get it wrong. See, I let you down too and cause you suffering. I'm not even going to say it again. But you know the word I'm talking about, okay? It is the definition of a word that sounds like what it describes. Okay? Words that sound like what they describe are that kind of a word. Okay? So we think of words like buzz, saw. Okay? It sounds like what it does. Or, or a bee, buzzing. It sounds like what's happening when you're around it. Um, we use the word sizzle to describe what happens to real bacon when you cook it. Right? Turkey bacon doesn't do that, but regular bacon does. <laughs> right? It sizzles. I heard someone say recently that eating turkey bacon is like eating fruit roll-ups. Okay? <laughs> right, so it's, kinda, it's there, but it doesn't really respond to what's happening, right? Okay, so sizzle is another word. It's, it sounds like what it means. Groan is a word that sounds like what it means. We groan. Okay? And that's our response to the struggles of this life. So groan is this kind of a word. A groan then is not a complaint. Okay, it's, there's a difference between a complaint and groaning from a biblical perspective. Groaning from the biblical definition is a sigh that rises from the depths of our inner being. It is a moan that is coupled with a longing. It's not despair. It's an, oh, I wish. Or, oh, I want. Or, oh, I long for. That's what biblical groaning is about. It's, and, and you find this as you read through Psalm 73, don't you? The psalmist is groaning. He, actually, what is he doing? He's complaining. Not just groaning, it's complaining. He's looking purely on a, on, a, on a, if you will, a horizontal level. He has no vertical perspective. Verse 15 of Psalm 73, it says, he goes into the temple of God, sees God for who he is, gains a vertical perspective, and then what happens? He, he switches from complaint to groaning, to longing for the way that things can be. And one day, from a biblical perspective, ultimately will be. So we live in a world where we experience this groaning. It is a reality. It is part of the brokenness that we live in and experience. Now, the text that we're going to look at is going to work through three levels. Creation groans, we as believers groan, and the Holy Spirit groans within us. So let's look first at creation groaning and waiting. Verse 20 of our text says this. It says the creation was subjected to frustration. Some of your translations are going to use the word futility, hopelessness, brokenness. Okay, it's what happens if you let a garden go unattended. All right, it goes to uselessness and futility. It's not attractive and it is unproductive. Okay, and that's what happened to the creation. It needs, in order to experience its best, it needs cultivation in order to become productive. Okay, it needs tending. And so the world that we live in is, is subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Okay, and what do you see? You see a connection between the future hope of believers and the future hope of the entire created realm. So creation's groaning is tied to, in some way, our sin. Genesis 3 says that, God says to Adam, because of you, the ground will be cursed. The whole world has fallen into a sense of brokenness. 
remember a few months back on a summer evening, I was standing on the back porch and I heard this loud, persistent screeching coming from the stream back behind my house. I knew something was happening. I knew whatever it was. I didn't want to watch it happen. Some animal got taken down by another animal. There was groaning. There's this brokenness that's present in the created realm as a result of our fallenness, as a result of our sinfulness. Creation longs to be brought out of that. There is a universal agony longing for a universal deliverance. That deliverance is tied to ours. Okay, so there's this groaning of creation. Now, what you see in this text is a personification. Okay, in the book of Psalms, you see personification. The trees of the hills will what? They'll shout for joy, and there's another text that says they'll clap their hands. Okay, it's not saying the trees are shouting, nor that they're clapping, but by their very presence and blowing in the wind, they're simulating or doing something that is similar to that. Okay, so it's in that sense the creation here, it, it, it will one day do that. Now what does it do? Now it groans. Hurricanes, tornadoes, storms, devastation, destruction, forest fires from lightning, those kinds of things. We live in a world that groans. It is not all that it was intended to be. It has come under a brokenness that is tied to our sinfulness. Creation's hope is for deliverance in this personification. And Jesus captures this, doesn't he? In the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, as it is in heaven. What is Jesus praying for? He's praying for what this text groans and longs for. Right? For, for a day when the glory of God will be completely and truly manifested in a new heaven and in a new earth where righteousness dwells and the curse has been defeated by the work of Christ. So creation groans, but it also waits. It's, it's waiting for what we're waiting for because our deliverance will be its deliverance. And that's a, it's an illustration. It's a personification. Secondly, the text says that we groan. Verse 23. It says, not only so, creation, verse 22, groans in the pains of childbirth to the present time. Not only so, but we also ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Okay, and this is the difference. Okay, it's not that we're people out on the street constantly complaining about politics, constantly complaining about the financial system, constantly complaining about the struggles amongst people. It, we groan where? Inwardly. Right? We're not murmurers and complainers. We're clearly told not to do that. But the text does understand that when a believer looks at the world as it is and understands what it will be, what do we do? We groan. We long for that change. Okay? And in this text, we know if you're being truthful as a believer, a child of God, a striving Christian, you know what it is to struggle and groan. Most of you could probably look at a circumstance in your life where your choice, your sinful choice, caused you to groan. To long for what you really will be one day by the grace and power of God. So we, we, we live with this not complaint, I hate my life. But we, we groan with a, a longing, with an expectation for things to be what they will be by the power and grace of God. Now, who is it that groans? In context, verse 23 says, the ones who are groaning are the ones who have the first fruits of the Spirit. 
Go back to chapter 8 and verse 9. If someone doesn't have the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Him. That the presence of the Spirit affirming and assuring of your relationship with God is the proof of God's work in your life. And it is the ground of groaning. Now, why do we groan? Well, what's the text say? It says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Okay, so what's that saying? Well, what it's saying is we have an already experience of the Spirit in our lives. We've got a taste of what God is starting to do. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone. New is emerging. But we're not totally new yet, right? So we live with this tension. Working out our salvation, Philippians 2 says, with fear and trembling. And in the struggles and in the losses of ground, we groan, we long, God, please, work. But who is it that does it? It's people who have this first fruits of the Spirit, which is an interesting analogy, right? First fruits are the guarantee of more to come. All right, we grow uh, this year, we started, well, last year we planted raspberries, this year we started harvesting raspberries. They're ever-bearing, okay, which means you get a good hit uh, sometime in the middle of the summer, and then right now, there's a hit, okay? And what happens? That when you start to see the fruit on the vine, what is it? It's the first fruits. It's the first sign. It, it, in a sense, functions as a guarantee that the full harvest is coming. Do you see? And, and another way that the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit, it speaks of the Holy Spirit not from the agricultural realm, but from the business realm. It says that we, in the Spirit, receive a deposit guaranteeing. Okay, what's a deposit? A deposit is, I go to Jack Brink's store, and I say, I'm going to buy this truck. I give him $1,000 in, we call it earnest money or a down payment. The intention of that money or the message of that money is what? I will be back to make a full purchase. And God, in giving you his spirit, has started something glorious. And when you understand and begin to experience that glorious thing, what does it do? It creates in you a longing for more of that. Right? It's, 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 it's not complaint then. It's we groan. Why? Well, we know what brokenness is. Right? We know it in our own lives. That's reality in our relationships, in our personal lives, in our thought lives, in our work lives. In every area, we know this brokenness. But we've experienced a touch of the Spirit of God that is changing us in a way that we can't take credit for. And what do we long for? God, would you do that throughout my entire life? Through my entire physical being? Right? And when you, when, you, when you get the taste, you get a longing. Okay, I think when I, when I went through this, I thought of the Stradmore Inn. I've been up there to do a wedding one time, and I've been there four weddings, and both were good experiences because they serve appetizers. And I said to the man, I said, I have never had appetizers like this. They have 134 or 35 different appetizers. Okay, what's the purpose of the appetizers of a meal? In this case, it was to destroy my desire for food, for dinner. I was like, I could just eat appetizers. Well, what's the purpose of appetizers? It's to create a longing. Okay, it's to create a longing. There's a, a, a sticky bun store down in Ocean City, New Jersey called Milan's. And I, I swear to you, they have directed their vent fans to the street. Okay, and when you drive by, your car fills with an aroma and it, it does, you take your hand, you just take the wheel. <laughs> it does a U-turn and goes right back there, I'm telling you, by itself. 
Okay, what's why 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 have that aroma out there? Why not hide it and, and kind of filter and get it out of the air? Because that that aroma, that taste of, that sense of creates a longing for the reality. It's not an I don't go I don't go to Ocean City and sit on Bay Avenue, sitting in my car, smelling the aroma and saying, you know what? I am so satisfied. Okay, that aroma causes a longing. You're close to it, but you don't have it yet. And there's another experience as you drive home with that box sitting on the seat beside you in its seatbelt, protected. Okay, what is it? It's, I don't get home and say, honey, I, I'm complete. I smelled it and I bought them. And it, Milan's is great. You say, that's weird. Right? That, why? Because that longing is going somewhere. It's, it's I want to experience that. We who have the Spirit as the first fruits long. We groan. We want the fullness. And the more you want that, and the more you walk in the Spirit in that, the more you will experience today heaven on earth. And it's the only way you can have it. The sad thing, we settle for other longings. We settle for Ennermans instead of Milan's. We get distracted. And I'm convinced of this. I am convinced that God allows the pain to help him off focus on what really matters. Because I have something called SPAD. It's spiritual ADD. Okay? I have a tendency to become distracted by the pains of this life and by the struggles. And I want release from it. And I tend to complain. You know what God wants us to do? God wants us to groan and to long to walk in the Spirit, to crave what He can do in our lives today so strongly that it alters our lives. Now, so, so there's this connection. Creation is groaning. It's looking for release. The truth is in this looking, we are not yet what we will be. And I think it's important that we just state that. Tim Hoff is not yet what he will be in Christ. I am on my way to that by the grace of God. Not by my own effort, but by the grace. We are people that are on the way. In this life, what happens? We succumb. We live in a physical body that goes through breakdown. Hair falls out. Skin falls down. Bellies fall out. Brain activity weakens. Sight grows dim. Teeth grow weak, right? All those things, that's part of the experience that we have. And what We groan. What is it? We're longing And the Spirit of God comes along to do what? To groan with you, to assure you that what God has started in you, He is committed to completing. In the midst of all of the brokenness, in the midst of all of the groaning. We're making progress, right? And the more we rely on the Spirit and rest in Him and are sensitive to His prompting and guiding, what happens? We begin to experience more and more of what He designs in the future today. And the more you taste it, guess what happens? Your longing increases. And your life, therefore, changes. Do you see? When you walk in the Spirit, you will crave more of the Spirit. He has come as a deposit guaranteeing and working out today your salvation. The truth is that along the way, as believers, we look somewhat, to be honest, somewhat average. Right? 
We're, we're, we're wrestling through. We're, we're, we're groaning. We're fighting. We're longing. And we look somewhat average. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, not many mighty, not many strong, not many highly intelligent. Why? God doesn't need that. There are many mighty, brilliant people who do foolish and stupid things because they don't have the Spirit of God. We're people that are on the way. We're people with common struggles. Look around. Look at the person sitting beside you. We, we are wrestlers. We're co-wrestlers. We're co-contenders in this. And in this battle, we groan, verse 23 says, up to the present time. Before you came in here today, something probably happened. Your mate probably did something stupid or your kids didn't listen to you or did the wrong thing and you groaned. <sighs> probably you complained, but it can be translated into a groan because you realize this is a broken world in which God is at work by the Spirit. And so we groan. Because we are not yet what we will be. And in this groaning, we long to be what we shall be. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 4 and 5. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Listen to this. He says, For while we are in this tent, we groan. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying that's part of my daily experience. In this tent, in this body that is subject to what it's subject to, and in this life that's subject to what it's subject to, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Do you see? We in this life groan and the Spirit is groaning with us. And what is He doing? He is guaranteeing for us. The God who has begun a good work in you is devoted to its completion. And so we don't complain. We let creation, we groan. We're, we're waiting for this ultimate release. And it's, it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like what a bride experiences the week before her wedding. Okay, apart from all the shenanigans, okay, apart, apart from the bridezilla stuff, okay, a bride waiting for a wedding day is probably wakes up in the morning and checks off that day. You know what that is? That's anxious. That's longing. Okay? Okay, that day's done. Well, it's really not done, but it's here. Okay? And there's this desire for that day to enjoy what is planned and it is affecting her life that day before, that week before, that month before. Do you see? It's kind of like what a child goes through who's got vacation coming. Do I have to go to school? Well, why are you asking that? Because I want vacation to start now. Okay, and there's this, what is this? There's this longing, this expectation, this, this groaning. Oh, do I have to go to school? They want to be on vacation. The bride wants to get married. It's, that hope is affecting, very specifically, their life. Now, when you experience this kind of groaning as a believer and you know the hope of what is to come, how does it affect you? Okay, the second half of verse 23 says this. It says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits or taste of the Spirit, this taste of heaven, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Okay, so these, you start getting loaded up here with adverbs. 
All right. We groan inwardly. We wait eagerly. The groaning is causing something else. It's causing an, an eager expectation, a heightened sense of intensity, a heightened desire for what is to come. So we wait eagerly, or the idea is, hopefully, because the Spirit is bearing fruit of His presence now. And this word is a fascinating word. The idea of waiting eagerly has the idea of waiting on one's tiptoes with the head outstretched, looking for what's coming. Okay, if you've been at a wedding, why do people sit on the aisle? Okay, because they're waiting eagerly, they're longing, they're, they're looking, they're borrowing from the future for that joy. That's what the Bible says, those that have the Spirit groan while eagerly expecting what God is bringing. And that is the experience that we, as the children of God, have. When I pick up my friend, our missionary, Victor John, from the airport, I go to Terminal B which at Newark Airport is the international terminal. I, oh, I, I try to go early. If you ask Victor if I get there early, he'll say he never gets there early. But I try to get there early because I like hanging out in Terminal B. I like sitting in the seats where the people are coming towards people that they haven't seen for years and may never see again. And you, that waiting typifies our waiting. They're waiting for a reunion. They're waiting to embrace someone they love. And it is, it is affecting them in the moment. It's kind of like what happens when you take a dog biscuit and you, you tell a dog to sit and stay. And, and then you're holding this biscuit out in front of them. And they, they're, some of those hunting dogs, they like vibrate on the ground. Okay, they're, what are, it's eager expectation and anticipation. They know that when they get that, it's good. And so they, they can barely sit still. Folks, if we would capture the glorious hope of heaven, we would be able to, spiritually to barely sit still. But we get distracted. And we're not people that are eagerly waiting and longing as we groan. We're people that are groaning, leading to complaining. And this text says we are people who are to groan while eagerly waiting, looking for that one to come down the corridor of Terminal B that we long to see. That's Christian hope. And so we, we, we wait with this kind of expectation that is transforming our behavior now. Do you see? It's not a future hope. It's a future hope that we today embrace and eagerly expect and wait for in a way that alters current behavior. The idea of the word eagerly waiting also carries the connotation of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Do you think enough about heaven that the things of earth go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace? I do sometimes. And when I do, it's glorious. But I get that distraction thing going and lesser things seem like better things when they really aren't. Glorious hope prompts expectant and patient waiting because we know that glory is coming. We know that something, as we talked about last week, something is coming that will cause everything else that we are connected to and addicted to and enslaved to, it will cause all those pleasures to seem like, oh, 
That was stupid. That's foolish. But you have to see it in comparison to what is coming. What's coming? The glory of the sons of God. What we're waiting for. And this is what, what amazes me in this text is, I think it's in verse 19, it talks about we're waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, the children of God, for the day when they are brought into His presence and they become everything that they should be. And that anticipation of that changes today. It changes decisions that you'll make as you leave this building today. If you leave with a longing that I'm not trying to get heaven on earth. I'm trying to be what God wants me to be today. But I realize that there is suffering here and I have living with this groaning and with this expectation. But I am doing it, according to this text, patiently. The truth is for us as believers, our best days lie ahead. And suffering and groaning in the present improves our eyesight. It improves our hearing. It helps us to fight against the natural tendency to... Love the things of this world, 1 John 2. It, it helps us resist that because we're living for something better. So the things of this earth become less and less and less attractive. They're not compelling. Christ becomes compelling. So Paul says later, the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ constrains, compels, holds me to the task. In 1 Corinthians 15, as he reflects on the resurrection, which I think is what this text ultimately leans toward, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And that will be the culmination. We are saved, but our body isn't saved yet. It's not experienced redemption yet, but one day it will. And when it does, that redemption of our bodies that this text talks about is the fullness. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5 says, in this life, when people pass away, what happens? We sorrow. We experience, we know what it is to sorrow, to shed tears over that pain. But, Paul says, we sorrow, but not like those without hope. Which means what? That we are firmly planted in reality, but the Spirit of God is doing what? He is assuring us, go back to verses 15 and 16. He's assuring us over and over that you are the sons of God. You are my children. No matter what is happening, no matter how difficult the circumstance, you are mine. That's the ministry of the Spirit. And so what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, we sorrow, but not like those without hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And we believe one day he's coming to deliver us ultimately from this groaning. And that for Paul, Paul says, that is transforming. To the church in Thessalonica, come on. Lift up your eyes out of your sorrow, over your losses. See the big picture and let God work. Let God change you. Let God break you free from the entanglements of this life and free to enjoy ahead of time the glories of heaven by the Spirit. That's what God wants. Now the truth is that while we try to work out our salvation and while we groan and seek to wait expectantly anticipating what happens... Sometimes we had circumstances that we never expected. Sometimes we get a phone call that we are not prepared for. And what happens? We're blown away. Someone says, hey, how do you feel about that? You know what? I really don't know how I feel about that. That's part of life, isn't it? It's part of living in a broken world where sometimes things happen that defy human explanation that we can't get our mental arms around. And it leaves us beyond the ability of words. 
I love what verse 26 says in light of that. Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. In the same way as what? You've got to go back to verse 22 and 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childhood up to the present time. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the fruits of the Spirit, we groan. But sometimes we don't know what to say. Because the pain of a broken world that we live in goes beyond words. Just the way it is. What does God do? Well, it says in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And, and the word weakness here simply means inability. You've probably said it or you've had someone say it to you. I can't deal with this. And what they're saying is I don't have words to describe what's going on. I don't have the heart to keep moving forward. It's getting too heavy. I can't do it. Here's what you need to know. In that circumstance, God is not distant. In fact, the whole thrust of Romans 8 is what? That the Spirit of God has come to assure the children of God of His presence. You get back to verses 15 and 16. That's what it's all about. And verse 13, that it's the Spirit of God that enables victory over sin in our lives. He enables victory over struggles in our lives by assuring you are mine. You are mine. The Spirit helps us in our inability. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with what? Not words, but with groaning. Think about that. A lot of times people try to take this text and make it say the Spirit of God is now talking to God for you. No. The text says this. He is groaning. The literal idea is unutterable words. The pain's that deep. You know what you want to know sometimes? You want to know that someone knows and someone cares. That's what the pain of life will do. And the Spirit of God comes to whisper into your heart, you are my child. I have redeemed you. And your future is bright. And this life is broken. And sometimes God in His mercy gives us taste of heaven here, doesn't He? And he does that, to, he gives you exactly what you need at the right time. And in the other seasons, the Spirit of God comes alongside and he groans with you and for you. So the Spirit groans within us interceding. Jesus intercedes to the Father as our mediator. And the whole Godhead, the Trinity, is at work in our behalf in our suffering and groaning. That should blow your mind. Okay? Do we get it all? No, this is a process. We groan, we wait expectantly, we wait patiently for the full revelation. In this groaning, we are not alone because the Spirit comes to assure us of our future hope in the tension of present suffering. He speaks of future hope. And you know what the end game is this? The end game is this, that we as the children of God would wait expectantly, would wait longingly for the sons of God to be revealed. That there is a better day coming when God will work in a powerful and glorious way in our lives as his children. That is his commitment to us in our seasons of suffering. May God help us to rest in him. May God help us to wait expectantly. May God help us in our groaning not to complain because then we're tempted. We, 
It's so easy. And it seems so right and justifiable. But despair is not in the dictionary of believers. We are people of hope who wait expectantly and therefore wait patiently because we know what is coming is so glorious that it will blind us to the past. And that's the analogy that he uses. We groan with the pains of childbirth, longing for that day when the work of Christ that has begun will be extended into the entire created realm where he will be king of kings and lord of lords. Think through the book of Revelation. You know what the... I mean, there's a couple great parts of Revelation. We're going through it in our men's Bible study. Revelation 1, the revelation of Christ. Revelation 2 to 3, Christ among his church, saying to them, him that overcomes, him that overcomes. Meaning what? The one that stays close to me. The one that stays close to me will overcome. 4 and 5, the glory of this exalted Christ and exalted Father in heaven. 6 through 19, trouble and struggling and, 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 and everything coming to a climax. Chapter 19, Christ comes. And truth is revealed and truth is experienced. Chapter 21 then leads into what? Listen to this. Chapter 21, then I saw what? John saw what he was longing for. What he was hoping for in this striving to overcome and to stand. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. Folks, that is Christian hope. One day with him. I saw this throne coming down. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear, every cause of groaning from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or cancer or phone calls. For the former things have passed away. Now think of that. Think of that. Have passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I will make everything new. Folks, that's Christian hope. It's, it's, it's seeing those promises in the future, knowing that they are, they are a reality in the powerful hand of God. But where do I live? Well, okay. I live already a son of God, but not yet complete but expectantly and patiently longing for what is to come. And that is a hope that changes us in the Spirit of God. What does He do? He assures and He affirms His work in you. He says, you are my child. When you can't express what you're feeling, when the pain is so great, too deep for words, the Spirit of God intercedes for you with groanings. He assures. And He takes up where you leave off because of your inability so don't let your inability frustrate you. Don't think, well, I should have something to say. I've got to have something. No, you don't. You don't. You don't. Let God speak. Let God serve. Let God minister. Let God assure. Let God love. Let God work. Let go. Let go. And let God do what he does best in redeeming his children for his glory. We wait patiently. Our redemption, though certain, is not yet complete. So we groan and we wait expectantly and patiently for the glory 
of what is to come. And that helps us fight for righteousness and fight for holiness. It gives us energy in the battle as we walk in the power of the Spirit of God who dwells within. As we come to communion this morning, it's impossible to read this text and not think of the suffering of Christ and the glory that follows. Impossible. 1 Peter 1 says this. And, and, and think about this in your groaning. It says, you love him. I'm quoting from the New Living Translation. You love him even though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him already. And you rejoice with a glorious, a weighty, and inexpressible joy. And see, folks, what happens? Those groanings that you can't utter, that pain that won't come out in words, is, is contrasted with what? With a hope that can't be expressed. Do you see? You rejoice with a glory, a glorious and inexpressible joy. It is the reward for trusting Him that results in the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when they told Him in advance of the sufferings of the Christ and the glory that would follow. You see the connection? Suffering and glory. Suffering Light, momentary, glory, weighty. So when Jesus came to die for your sin, what motivated him? Hebrews chapter 12. And the beginning of verse 13. Who for the joy set before him endured the suffering of the cross. Why? So that he could redeem you from your sin by bearing the price of it through his shed blood. And so as we come to communion, and as you come to this table, the elements speak. Jesus said, every time you do this, you proclaim my death until I come. What does it mean to proclaim the death of Christ? You know what it means? It means to proclaim the suffering of Christ and the glories that follow. So as you take the elements today, as a co-sharer, verse 17 of Romans 8, in the sufferings of Christ, think of what he did for you. Think of the blood that He shed to redeem you. Think of the suffering He endured to rescue you and I from our groaning and to give us a glorious expectation of the sons and daughters of God. And let that truth settle deeply into your heart and produce patience and eager expectation. If there's something you need to deal with before God as you wait to come and receive the elements, deal with that quietly in your heart before the Lord. And then... Go to get the elements. Take them back to your seat. And then together we will eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Proclaiming what? The Lord's death, His passion, His suffering. Until He comes. Expectation and glory. Do you see? When you partake of the Lord's table, what are you doing? You're remembering what He did for you to redeem you. His suffering. But you're remembering what that means for you in the future. That one day glory. Through the blood and work of Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning.